Now, one of the things that your generosity goes toward is strategic partnerships that help create flourishing all throughout the city of Baltimore. Back to that vision piece that we exist to see lives, neighborhoods, the city, and beyond transformed by the hope of Jesus. One of our partners is our friends at Drink at the Well, who is who's going to be with us today in week three of our series called Thought Life. Um, and so I, I invite you to listen with kind of two frameworks in mind. The first is to uh, identify, celebrate, um, the really cool things that are happening in other spaces in Baltimore that you may not know about, uh, and that your resources are helping to benefit. And, and to continue to ask that question, hey, what might I do to continue that partnership and lean into that partnership? Or now that I know that I've already played a role in the transformation happening there, how do I continue to press on in that way? But the second frame is this. We've been in this series called Thought Life, where we're talking about the things that we're thinking. We've been talking about in week one the idea of the need for a thought inventory. Whether that thought inventory is, boy, if anyone ever found out what was going through my head, they wouldn't like me very much, down to like anxious thoughts or depressed thoughts or clinical things that we may be dealing with. How do we just, number one, take an inventory of those things, and number two, begin to create an environment in our own hearts, in our own lives, this was last week, where, where we, we, we try to think about creating new pathways of renewal in our life and in our story. Today, we're going to lean into what we talked about at the very end of last week. And this is the second frame. The healing power of community. As you hear what God is doing in Curtis Bay, and you hear the stories of encouragement, the, the, the goal is also that we might receive the invitation to um, consider how we may create those pathways for ourselves in this neighborhood and in other places and spaces that we inhabit, okay? Here to help us do that this morning, to bring those two worlds together, is our friend Laura Coleman from Drink at the Well. So would you welcome her this morning? That's nice. Thank you. Good morning. I'm always grateful for the opportunity to be here with you. Several weeks ago, actually, Scott reached out to me and asked me to share about the work that's being done at Drink the Well during this series on our thoughts. And immediately, I started thinking about it, right? And I've almost gotten to the point where I'm overthinking it. So I'm grateful to be in front of you today and to have this opportunity. So pray with me, and we will get started. Father in heaven, I thank you for the privilege to be here today, and, and I pray that you will use me to share your heart for connection and community and for loving the most vulnerable among us. May each person listening receive what they need today to walk in the confidence of who you created them to be. Have your way with our time this morning, and it's in the name of your son Jesus that I pray. Amen. So I research quite a bit on current science that can help in the healing community that we have at Drink at the Well. And recently I learned of a neuroscientist named Dr. Tara Swart. And she shares about the power of the brain and our thought lives. And she provides all kinds of interesting stories and research. But one was an experiment that she did with weightlifters. And she asked this group to stop exercising for two weeks. Um, she asked them to just think about themselves doing their workout. So they went to the gym, and they would sit, and they would visualize every repetition that they were supposed to be making. 
but they didn't perform one bicep curl. They didn't do one abdominal crunch. They didn't do squat. But at the end of their two weeks, this group who was visualizing their workout showed a 13% increase in their muscle mass. Man, the power of our thoughts and that interconnectedness between our minds and our bodies, right? So as we move forward this morning, I hope that I, you find this message really engaging, but if at any time I lose you, do not miss this opportunity, you can get a workout in, right? So my name is Laura Coleman, and as Scott said, I'm the Director of Education at Drink at the Well. We are a community of women who are being transformed through relationships, through programs, and through the healing power of love. I moved to Baltimore in 2012, and within months, that safe world that I had constructed for myself changed drastically. It was no longer the life I had pictured, but God always has a way. Now, during that same year, Drink at the Well was established in a neighborhood known as Curtis Bay, right across the Hanover Street Bridge, through the work of founder and executive director Mandy Memel. Curtis Bay sits adjacent to the Brooklyn Park area of South Baltimore, about five, areas, uh, five miles from where we are right now. Curtis Bay, where 57% of the children are being raised in homes that are at or below the poverty level. Curtis Bay, where 15-year-old girls in the local high school will hear about sex trafficking and they will say, that happens every day here. You would have a hard time finding a girl in that building that hasn't done that. Curtis Bay, where gangs and crime are the norm and where generational poverty sets the bar pretty low for hopes and dreams. The common denominator for someone living in Curtis Bay is trauma. Now, it would be easy to look at Curtis Bay and ask why or what difference can we make. But just a few weeks ago, one of our mentees was sitting in our Thursday morning Women of Hope faith group, and she shared, two years ago, all she ever thought about was suicide. But today, she no longer believes the lies. And she says, I am hopeful for what is to come. That is why we are in Curtis Bay. The women in our program range in age from 25 to 65, and they all experienced chronic, hard life circumstances that led to complex trauma from a very young age. The developmental impact is significant. It will affect a person's emotional, cognitive, behavioral, interpersonal and physical functioning throughout their lives. All of these women have developed deeply ingrained and highly effective survival skills in childhood in order to stay alive and get their fundamental needs met. For some of them, this led to a lifetime of self-exploitation and toxic relationship. For others, the pain of their nightly abuse was numbed by drugs and alcohol. Repetitive traumatic experiences overload the brain of a young child, and while the stress hormones continue to flood their body, causing physical changes, the fight-or-flight response gets hijacked. And when that happens, the brain development shuts down, and wiring to the area of the brain called the prefrontal cortex gets stalled. Now, this is an important part of the brain. It's responsible for our executive thinking skills. 
for our ability to anticipate consequences, to problem solve, to plan sequentially, and to make good decisions. Their early childhood experiences will impact the way they think and the decisions they make. And somewhere in the midst of that hurt, the child begins to think, this is what I was made for. And they begin to believe the lie that this is who they will always be. Now, for any community navigating these kinds of challenges, it can seem overwhelming, even futile. We live in a world that emphasizes a selfie lens. But Jesus lived life with a zoom lens when there was somebody in front of him who needed his attention. The woman who wet his feet with her tears. The woman with the issue of bleeding who wanted to go unnoticed. And the Samaritan woman at the well with her history of broken relationships and communal judgment. All places where his time, his attention, and his focus allowed them to be seen and dignity to be restored. It should come as no surprise that as a drop-in center located in this community, we minister to many people in many different ways, connecting them to something as simple as a lunch or a shower, fresh produce, clothing, and resources for substance abuse, housing, and our core life development program that helps them to create a life plan that includes casework and counseling and classes. Their classes are in relationship building, financial literacy, health and wellness, self-esteem, communication, workforce development, and trauma. But the most impactful thing that we offer is the healing power of community. We welcome anyone with open arms, and we want them to feel seen and heard. And in doing so, we hope to restore dignity and honor to that individual. Being seen as a human is sometimes not accessible to this population of people who are dismissed and devalued by our culture. They're seen as a less than, as just a drug addict, another homeless person, a prostitute, or victims of their own poor decision-making. At the well, we respond to one person at a time, and when someone takes the time to see and to serve another human being who by the world's standards is considered unlovable, and we unconditionally offer them love and belonging, that is loving like Jesus. Our thoughts have the power to lead others to or away from kingdom truths. And Jesus has a way of zooming in on the people that the community and sometimes the church has cropped out. Jesus welcomes everyone home like a son or a daughter. He knows that this was never what she chose. He knows about the abuse, the objectification. He knows the way that she has been treated and the things that have been said to her and about her that hold her captive to her abuse and her trauma. But he sees a daughter and he invites us to have eyes like him. I want you to think for a minute, what is the one truth about you that you hope no one else ever has to find out about? This is a common challenge in the work that we're doing at the well. The women in our community, all of us, we bring a history of hurt, of trauma, of brokenness, and the shame related to those things. What is the one truth that I hope no one ever has to find out about? That is where I find my shame. And that shame tells me that you would look at me differently if you knew. 
that I would not be welcome here, that I'm not worthy of your time, your attention, and your love. Shame tells us that we don't belong. To add to that, shame tells us that we're the only ones. It isolates us, so we're alone in our hurt and our brokenness, and we often tell ourselves that as long as no one else ever finds out about it, we will be okay. But it's one of the biggest lies that Satan wants us to believe, and it is anchored deeply into the thoughts of a hurting world around us. In our trauma-informed programs at the well, we talk about childhood neglect, abuse, domestic violence, sexual exploitation, and its impact even decades later on the thoughts and behaviors of the women that we serve. Those early life experiences impact their ability to believe in a safe world, and some will spend a lifetime trying to break through that lie. They struggle to believe that they are worthy of healing. They don't dream or imagine a better future for themselves until they deal with their trauma and they can get out of the rut and new pathways can be formed. So how do we do that? It's through the power of connection. Kurt Thompson says in his book, The Soul of Shame, those places in our story that we keep secret or that we think we cannot share with anyone, those places are healed in community. That starts with proximity and touch. So is there really power in a touch? In the 2008-2009 NBA season, there was a study done at Berkeley that recorded the touch of every team at every game. They tracked every tap, every high five, every contact, and what they found is that the teams that had the highest number of contacts in the first half of the season had the best record at the end of the season. The power of touch. Now, from the moment that we're born, touch has multiple health benefits, such as lowering our heart rate and promoting the growth of brain cell connections. We know from kangaroo care that premature infants benefit from that skin-to-skin -skin contact, and it helps them to thrive. Being hugged induces a cascade of neurochemicals, including the hormone oxytocin, which plays an important role in our social bonding. It slows down our heart rate. It reduces our stress and our anxiety levels. In healthy relationship, a hug can bring the release of endorphins, giving us feelings of pleasure and well-being. But for a woman walking in off the streets of Curtis Bay, a hug could be the first physical touch they've had that didn't cause physical pain. There is incredible power when someone is in close proximity in our moment of need. That was true with the woman who wanted to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. And we believe healing flows out of proximity. At the well, the women are living out life and doing the work on their life plans in community. Now, we have challenges, right? Because healing, especially healing from complex trauma, is never linear. And while we are a faith-based organization, we welcome anyone into our program. Mandy recently said, we are faith-inspired, not faith-required. And in our programs, the women will learn about the impact of their trauma, and for many, they will begin to recognize their victimization. And they will see that their unhealed wound will keep showing up in the present. But their healing is about wholeness and reconnection of parts of themselves that have been fractured. 
Hans Honey is our social enterprise, and we often use the powerful symbolism of the beehive in the work that's being accomplished. Bees are renowned for their remarkable sense of community and cooperation. Within a beehive, each bee has a specific role and contributes to the overall functioning of the colony. Bees work harmoniously together for the greater good of the entire community, and they rely on one another for survival. Their well-being is intertwined with the well-being of the entire hive. And they encourage us to recognize our interdependence with others and to nurture meaningful relationships within our communities. That is so true of the women in our program as well, because somewhere along the way, they will need their community to keep encouraging them forward. And somewhere along the way, they will be the one cheering the next woman along. In Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, we are told, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Battling shame requires the help of community to experience true healing as we begin to walk in the fullness of who God created us to be. It needs that great cloud of witnesses and as many voices as possible reminding us that we are seen and we are known and we are loved. Yes, this verse references the forefathers of our faith, but... Addressing our shame begins with trustworthy friends, confidants, family members, and spiritual mentors. Our nature is to believe that we can do everything on our own, and we will be tempted to believe that healing shame is no different. God can use a committed group of people to put shame to death, but it requires being part of such a community. This means a community with others who will help us to more distinctly hear our Father's voice. We encourage our women to share parts of their story when they are ready and with safe people. When we risk revealing the vulnerable and especially the shameful parts of our story, a number of neurobiological events are put into motion. It takes great courage to share something shameful. We see it in a person's face and in their body language. But almost immediately, there will be a softening in the listener as well, leaning forward, a look of compassion, responding with kindness in their voice. And as they do so, the neurophysiology of the woman who is sharing begins to change as she feels seen but not judged. Having taken that risk, she feels less alone in her story. And she becomes aware now of how much she has been carrying alone. Burden bearing is when your pain lives in my heart. It's the language the deaf can hear and the blind can see. Because when you carry someone else's burden, you resemble Jesus. So instead of remaining in the hurt of her past, the woman begins to live in the present moment as if to feel perhaps for the very first time, I'm okay. 
and she will grow in resilience as shame's grip on her life is loosened and she'll take one step forward on her journey toward healing. And as she does this, her body and her mind will develop the capacity to feel increasingly safe and regulated in the world. Then we get to watch the transformation of this woman who begins to walk in confidence and discover her created purpose. That's what we mean. Together at the well, we're a community of women being transformed. Now, when it comes to laying down these new pathways in the brain, research tells us that it takes between three months and a year of consistent behavior for new pathways to be generated. That can feel like a long time when you're trying to deal with your trauma, right? But there is one thing that we can do that expedites that process, and it increases the functioning of our prefrontal cortex. Any ideas what that would be? Any neurobiologist in the crowd? It is simple, and it is powerful. It is play. Play allows children and adults to explore different outcomes in a low-stakes environment. There's this learning in this exploration, and at a biological level, that is our prefrontal cortex starting to think about new possibilities. Just a small increase in your willingness to put yourself in conditions where you're not an expert or you don't even know all the rules, because it is low stakes, and because it will give you the opportunity to learn about yourself and others, it will open up pathways to our prefrontal cortex, and our prefrontal cortex will actually get smarter. For this reason, we love to engage our community in opportunities for play, because this is something that they were often deprived of in their childhood. So what is your takeaway this morning? I want to leave you with this. Elizabeth Sherrill, a writer in Chappaqua, New York, was working in her home office one day, and she saw a skunk in her backyard stumbling around with a bucket of some sort on its head. And she said to herself, somebody should do something about that. And she spent about an hour watching this skunk, and finally she called animal control, and they told her she should go out and do something about that. But she asked them, won't he spray me? And they said, well, try not to scare him. So she finally realized she was the only person in a position to do something about it. And she wrote later, a timeless parable had played itself out. The skunk was all the needs I hesitate to get involved in because the skunk has needs and I have deadlines to make. It will take time. I probably can't do anything anyway and someone else can handle it better. Besides, involvement can look ugly, and the stench may rub off on me. Every now and then, God answers a need with me because there is a need in your own backyard, and you are in the best position to do something about it. Now, for some of you, perhaps you'd like to know more about our programs and how you can get involved. Some really tangible needs that we have on an ongoing basis include donating clothing and household linens to our hope chest that provides for men, women, and children in our community. If you have a skill or a talent in the creative area, come and help us teach an art class or teach music or a dance or a game night of some kind and invite them to create. And currently, we're seeking teams and sponsorships for our Top Golf Driving Change event that's coming up on April 24th. 
but we use volunteers across all of our programs. We are a woman's drop-in center, but often we find that men don't realize we can use your help too, using your skills to help with maintenance issues or concerns that arise in our building or in our rental property that houses some of our mentees. We could use your support when we have a woman who's moving into her first apartment and we need a truck or a few sets of arms and a willing spirit to help. Our highest areas of need in our programs is in childcare for our young moms during our classes or while they work at Hunt's Honey. And if you are someone who remembers the pampered chef approach to inviting others into your home to, to learn about the product, we've recently started promoting Hun's Honey house parties. And we would provide the support and the products for you to be able to host your own. Now, we spent a little bit of time this morning talking about the value of connection. And we are always looking for women with the heart to connect as a mentor for the women in our program. But volunteering takes time, and it can be inconvenient, and it can be messy. But if you would like more information about the well or any of these opportunities, I will be downstairs after the service, and I would love to have that conversation with you. Now, I started this morning by introducing myself and saying that I moved to Baltimore, and within months, the safe world I had constructed for myself had changed drastically. I have learned so much about healing communities by working in Baltimore, but my first experience in a healing community was here at the Foundry, at our Patterson Park neighborhood group, with people who showed up week after week and prayed for me, and they did life with me, and we played together, and they encouraged me. They were my great cloud of witnesses during some of my darkest days, and if you are not connected in community here at the Foundry, I want to encourage you to consider the possibility that God is answering that need right in your own backyard. God always has a way. So thank you for your time and your attention this morning, and I want to ask you just to pray with me as we close. Heavenly Father, our hope is in you, and you are the only one worthy. We are broken, and we mask, and we pretend, but you already know. We thank you for your unrelenting grace and for the church, and I pray, Father, that we will find true community in it, and that we will become the community for others who so desperately need to experience your love and your grace. It's in the precious name of your son, Jesus, that I pray. Amen.